We meet today in Isaiah chapter 58 and 59. In these two chapters, we're looking at the exposure of Israel's wicked ways, the explanation from God for rejecting their religious acts, the condemnation of Israel, the confession of Israel, and the coming of the Redeemer to Israel. Isaiah chapter 58 brings us to the final division of the prophecy of Isaiah, the glory of Jehovah which comes through the suffering servant. We move on in this section to the glory of the kingdom. My friend, have you ever been disappointed or even angry with religion? Perhaps you have heard someone say that church is full of hypocrites. Maybe you have even said that yourself. Now, Isaiah rebuked Israel for practicing bad religion, religion that benefited no one and offended God. That is what he talks about in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 to verse 14. Specifically, the prophet zeroed in on fasting, the subject of verse 2 to verse 5 pointing out ways in which the people misused this important spiritual discipline. Here are the ways they were misusing them. First, they nagged God in the interest of their own personal gain. Secondly, while seeking their own self-interest, they exploited their laborers. Thirdly, their feasts became a source of strife, debate and hostility towards others. Finally, they also used the severe fasting practices to call attention to themselves. In this chapter, the prophet challenges those practices. And after challenging these practices, Isaiah described what true fasting ought to be like. And from verse 6 to verse 13 of Isaiah 58, he talks about that. And he highlights the important things that I need to uh, prepare you for as we go into this chapter. The first one is that fasting should result in bringing relief to the oppressed. True fasting should result in feeding the hungry. It should result in the poor being taken into homes for shelter and clothing. Then superior attitudes of finger-pointing and evil should decline and ultimately disappear. True fasting should lead to repairing things, including damaged relationships. Finally, true fasting should involve treating the Sabbath as a day to worship the Lord rather than continuing to work for personal gain. Now, it's very easy to point the finger at others and criticize or ridicule their religious practices and spiritual life. But what about your own patterns of faith, my friend? How do they measure up to the Lord's description of true religion here? If there are places where you need to change, find at least one other person who will hold you accountable for making the necessary changes in your life. Let's look at the exposure of Israel's wicked ways. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Isaiah 58 verse 1 
The prophet is commanded to cry aloud a message that is always unpopular, which is to point out the transgressions and the sins of a people who think they are very religious. And it is a difficult task, my friend, telling a message to people who claim to be very religious. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Isaiah 58 verse 2. You see, these people were attending the temple worship regularly. They were going through the ordinances in everything. They were meticulous. They actually enjoyed going to the temple, yet their lives were no resemblance to those of the believers. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you have no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Isaiah 58 verse 3. You see, these people were irritably complaining. They ask the reason for fasting and self-infliction if God doesn't take note of it and pat them on their back for the ritual. Yet their hearts are far from God and they evidently had made fasting a very important part of their religion. And it is true, my friend, they were to afflict their souls in connection with the great day of atonement and in the times of sin they were to fast. Fasting was the outward expression of the soul. But you see, the problem with them is they had made fasting a form which ministered to their ego and pride, forgetting that God had not given them fast days, except that he had given them feast days. Fasting was to be a private matter between the soul and God, not a public show. Remember our Lord Jesus condemned these people for abusing the fast. When he was here on earth, he said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Matthew 6 verse 16. They did not need and they needn't to expect anything from God for they didn't do it because of their relationship with him. Here Jesus said to those who are his own, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6 verse 17 to verse 18. You see, real religion is a relationship with Christ, and it is as secret and private as anything can be. It is an intimate relationship. While we may be even be able to, to show and tell people that we love our spouses, but we don't tell the world of our intimate experiences with our spouses, husband or wife, it is a private affair. So is fasting. It is a private affair, not to be made something into public. 
So God gives the explanation to these people why he rejected their religious acts. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the feast of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Isaiah 58 verse 4 Now God explains why he cannot accept their fasting. They thought it gave them special acceptance with them. And listen to this question, which God is giving in a rhetorical manner. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Isaiah 58 verse 5. You see, God had not commanded their fasting and their acts of worship were entirely outward and did not reveal the condition of their heart. And this is largely the condition of the contemporary church today. I don't say it is the condition of your church, but it may be. I need to acknowledge that there are many wonderful churches that teach the word of God that even emphasize the right relationship with God. But by and large, the organized church has only a form of godliness. Here is Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 to verse 9. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bones of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your homes the poor, who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of fingers, and speaking wickedness. This is the Lord speaking, now correcting, and he says, This is how I expect true fasting, true relationship with me to show. It must show something. Your act of worship should not be simply for people to see you and say, wow, that person is so worshipful, or to put on a long face. Now, my friend, what is your concept of worshiping the Lord? Attending a church service at which you sing hymns, read scripture, recite prayers, listen to a sermon, and partake of Holy Communion? Well, all of these practices can lead to worship. But Isaiah shows that true worship goes beyond that. In Isaiah's day, there were apparently plenty of religious people, but not many responsive people. They afflicted their souls with fasting, delighted to know God's way, inquired about the ordinances of justice, and enjoyed their worship services. But little, if any, of their piety translated into action. Yet they expected God to answer their prayers and bless them. 
through Isaiah, God said that true worship is not just a weekly ritual, but a daily lifestyle. It may begin in a house of prayer, but it ends up in the public square. What might that public-minded worship look like in today's world? How must it look like? What would it mean for believers as they respond to the hungry, the homeless, the prisoner, the wage earner, the debtor, the poor, and the hopeless? My friend, there are no easy answers, but one thing is clear. As Isaiah told the people of his day, God cannot be expected to shower good things on his people as long as they withhold good things from others. So what starts with worship ends in service. Today that means that the church gathered for worship on Sunday becomes the church scattered for service on Monday through Saturday. Building believers leads believers rebuilding their communities. Worship and service form a seamless robe, if you like. If you turn away your route from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holiday, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holiday of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor forsaking your own, nor speaking your own words. Isaiah 58 verse 13 Now, truly observing the Sabbath was more than not working. It was actually dedicating the whole day to God to such an extent that one denied his own pleasure. Now, for us, it is a little different today. We are told in Hebrews 4 verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. To enter into God's rest will mean not only great blessing for us, but it will open up an avenue of service for us. The thing that brought the Apostle Paul to a life of missionary activity was to enter into the redemption rest. Isaiah 58 verse 14 tells us, Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you notice that the horizon here is now extended and the visitor of the future opens before us? They may delay the approaching glory, but they cannot destroy God's plan for the coming manifestation of his glory. Isaiah chapter 59 continues God's charges against Israel and he spells them out. Their sins had brought about their sad state. Religion had become a cover up for their sins. God refused to hear because of their iniquities, not because he was hard of hearing. How should God's people do their work or run their businesses? Does faith make any difference in how believers approach the issues of the workplace? Well, the prophet Isaiah believed that it should. He called the Israelites to be very clear. And his call is they needed godly standards against which they could measure their work. However, 
the people of his day were not measuring up. Actually, their sins are referred to 32 times. Many words are used to describe their sins. Iniquities, sins, defiled with blood, lies, perverseness, vanity, mischief, adder's egg, spider's web, viper, works, violence, evil, wasting, destruction, crooked paths, darkness, transgressions, departing, oppression, revolt, conceiving, and uttering of falsehood. You see, there are even 23 separate charges brought against them. How would Isaiah assess your work, my friend, and the way you do it? Does your faith make any difference in the way you do your job, in the way you interact with many people? Consider whether your co-workers, your customers, and others would see you as a source of long-term benefit and economic justice, or as a source of trouble and net loss to the business enterprise. If you are unsure how to evaluate the impact of your faith at work, who could you ask for an honest appraiser? Have an accountable partner to deal with. But now here is the condemnation of Israel. Isaiah 59 verse 1 Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. You see here, the reason that Israel was not saved in Isaiah's day was not due to any weakness in the mighty bad arm of the Lord, which we saw in Isaiah 53. The Lord's hand was not shortened, neither was it due to any faulty connection in his communication with men. Likewise, in our day, it is not the mental hurdles that man has to surmount or any of his many problems, but his sin separates him from God. Sin separates us from God. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59 verse 2 Throughout this first section, God spells out their sins. It is rather a discouraging picture, actually, of the human family, and that includes you and me. Then we have a confession of Israel, which is coming in the future, when the Redeemer comes to Zion. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. Isaiah 59 verse 9. Well, the change of pronouns here indicates that there is another speaker here. Instead of your and theirs, it is now we and our and us now. This is Israel's confession. They confess they are in darkness. They confess that their religious rituals have all been a pretense. Now, many people need to do the same in our day. It could actually bring great revival to our churches. Now, notice Israel's confession as it continues. We grope for the war like the blind. And we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. 
Isaiah 59 verse 10. You see they are in darkness and what a picture of man who does not have a relationship with God. It's just darkness. But when Israel will make this confession and they will make it in the future, to these specific charges, they also will repudiate their sins. And my friend, our confessions to God should be specific. And then the sins will be repudiated. Each sin should actually be confessed. The next passage continues to name the specific sins that Israel had committed as they were confessing. I will not go into the details of that. Now we come to the coming of the Redeemer of Israel. Again, notice that the pronoun changes again. The Redeemer will come to Israel. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Isaiah 59 verse 20. Now many people ask, will the whole nation be saved? No. Romans chapter 9 verse 6 tells us, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You see, those saved will only be a remnant. And there appears to be only a remnant even in the church who are actually saved. But the Redeemer is coming some day to Zion. And at that time, there will be a great confession of sin. Zechariah 12 verse 10 tells us about it. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. My friend, this is the word of God. Isaiah 59 verse 21, the last verse of this chapter says, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants. Descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Again, here the covenant is not dependent upon the merits or the good works or the demerits uh, referring to disobedience of Israel. It is an act of the sovereign will and the grace of God. Israel, the custodian of God's word, is destined to remain forever his witness, whether in obedience or in disobedience. God has made a covenant that the Redeemer is coming to Zion. There will never be a time when this promise will be entirely forsaken, for this is God's purpose. It will be fulfilled in His good time. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org